0: Good morning. Hey, so good to see each and every one of you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here today. Thanks for coming. You know, uh, thinking of Father's Day, I heard a story about his his father, and he had a great father moment with his son, and they're eating dinner as a family, and uh, the son says, hey, dad, is it okay to eat bugs? And he's like, son, you know we don't talk about disgusting things at the table. Let's lay it for another time. So the son's quiet, just goes on. So they finish their meal, wash the dishes, and they're sitting in the living room. And his dad says, hey, son, so you're talking about eating this bug stuff. you like, what, what's going on? You think about eating a bug or what? It's like, no, there was a bug in your soup, and I just wanted to make sure it was okay to eat, eat bugs. And uh, was it tasty? <laughs> and that was it. So I thought that's great, right? Sometimes sometimes being a father is pretty amazing. Other times it's pretty challenging. Uh, we're glad you're all here, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the, uh, uh, your day. will be great. We know your day will be great. And just uh, pray that it will be a wonderful time for fathers and families. And for all those that have, uh, maybe this day is hard. Uh, thanks for coming, anyways. We know that it can be difficult because of the past or whatever's going on in the present. And we pray that today will just uh, give you some encouragement and some help, even even in those challenging moments that we have, even as as families and relationships, all that. So thanks for coming. Uh, I want to welcome all those tuning online. Thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, we're praying that you have a great service with us, also. Think about you guys every week, also. And uh, so, hey, we're in week three of a series on worship. And uh, we're going to continue on talking about what it means to what worship means and why it's important that we understand this idea because it's it's core uh, to scriptures to the Bible. And so, worship really um, is. Here's the thing about worship: is we all worship something or someone. Um, And there's something inside of each and every one of us that looks for meaning and purpose in life outside of ourselves. So, if we can't find it outside of ourselves, we make it about ourselves, and we become the thing that we worship. We become the most important. And so scripture is very clear. Uh, and really, what worship is 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 worship is our response to what we value most. It's just a response in our lives to what we value most. And so the, how we spend our energy, how we spend our time, how we spend our finances, our resources is an indication of what we value most. And that's all worship is. It's just a response to we saying this is what's really valuable in my life, and I put it up towards the top of my list, and I and I I, um, um, I choose that as as part of what I worship. You know in scripture is very clear that God is wanting us to pay attention to what we worship because he understands there's his principle in 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 humankind is that whatever we worship, whatever we say is valuable, whatever we say is most valuable, we eventually will become like that thing that we worship. So we'll become like the thing that we choose to worship. So if you don't know what you're gonna become, just look at the list that you have of the things that you value most and and here's how you know when there's two options, right? Um, what one are you going to select? What was more more important to you? That's an indication of your value. Look at your checkbook where you spend a lot of energy and time, money, all that. It's an indication of your value. And so whatever it is that you're worshiping in life, you'll eventually become. And so if you don't know what that looks like, just look 20, 30 years down the road. Uh, people that are a part of that industry or, or have that same value that you do, what do they look like in 20 years, 30 years? How do their relationships look? Uh, what is it all about? And so, um, you, you know, it could be sports. Well, in 20, 30 years, they are not... Famous people in sports teams, you know, that might be good one year, next year not good. Um, Down the road, they might not even be be that um, important or known, right? And so whatever it is that you're worshiping, just give us enough time. It'll show you that you'll eventually become like that thing. So we we need to pay attention because um, whatever you worship, you become like. So if you don't, don't like who you're becoming or who you've become, You have to look back and say, what have I made priority in my life? What have I been worshiping? And that'll give indication of why you have the results that you do. In fact, I showed you this picture of of the result cycle. And the result cycle says this, that your beliefs, things that are core to you, your your values that you hold true, they always influence your, your behavior. Your behavior always influences the quality relationships you have, which then give you the results that you have in life. And those results just feed back into your beliefs of what you believe. So the, the key to changing our, our behavior, to changing our results, is changing our beliefs, to focus on our beliefs. And so for this whole series, really the reason I point back to this is because God understands that in life, whatever it is that we choose to hold value in our life will eventually give us the results that we see. And so part of worship is saying, all right, God, what is it that you value? In fact, in John four twenty three to 24 Jesus has a discussion with the Samaritan woman. They're talking about life. He's telling her that she's trying to f- find fulfillment in her life with, through all these different things, right, and different people. And he's saying you'll never find fulfillment there. No matter how much you have of that, you'll never find true fulfillment in your life. And then the conversation turns to worship and God, and how do you find fulfillment? And, and Jesus actually makes a statement about worship. He says that it's this, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Notice who he puts first. It's who you are and the way you live. Humans typically tend to put the externals first, and then the internals come as an afterthought. Jesus is saying uh, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the way we're made, we actually start from the inside out. So the things that matter to God are the things that are on the inside, and then it always works out to the way we live. So he says your your worship must must engage your spirit, the things inside, in the pursuit of truth, the things on the outside. Uh, That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Essentially, People who are worshiping God the way that he's looking for are those that don't have to hide anything from God. They don't have to – there's no secrets there. They understand that God sees it all anyways because he's spirit. He sees on the inside. Uh, God is, is sheer being himself spirit. So those who worship must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration, in worship. And so we said this is a, this is the kind of worship God's looking for, who you are and what you do that matter before God. So we say it like this, biblical worship. If you know what worship is when it comes to the Bible, it is a full-life response. That's your head. That's your heart. And that's your hands to who God is and what he's done for you. So uh, biblical worship is saying it's my whole life. It's a response out of who I am is the what I think, what I value and my actions that I do. And so every week we've been walking through these different components. So the first week we talked about the value of worship, why we worship, why it's important. Last week we talked about the mind. What does that look like? Because The reason our minds are so important because it's the gatekeeper to really the values that we'll end up catching and holding on to. So we pay attention to our thoughts. Well, today we're going to talk about the heart. And um, we're going to talk about what, what that looks like to uh, have the heart that God is looking for. Uh, Romans 1, 21 through 23, it says this. Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and, and he's talking about doctrine and the right belief and about God and, and worshiping other things and uh, idols and false gods. And he makes a statement in Romans 21. He says that for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Essentially he's saying these people he's talking about, they had an understanding that God created everything, right? They looked around at creation and said, all right, there's something going on here. There's a creator, I'm um, a created being. But it says that they never, neither glorified him as God, they didn't pay attention to him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. That give thanks to him is a very key uh, phrase that we'll talk about at the end of the message. But it's, it's, it's understanding that there's this component in there that we understand who God is and what we have in front of us. It says, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice what happened to their hearts when their attention turned away from God and it turned away from giving God thanks. And their thoughts, what happened, they began to entertain the wrong influences, the wrong thoughts. And eventually it impacted their hearts. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the, the things that God had for them, the glory of God, for the immoral, of the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds of the air, animals, reptiles. So he's saying these people... They didn't recognize God as God, they didn't give thanks to God, and their thoughts led their hearts to become turned in a, in a, in a negative way. And it says that they actually exchanged the things God had for them for something that was temporary. So they, they, cha- they wanted a pleasure rather than something that would last. They wanted something that was quick rather than something that would be healthy in the long run. And it says their hearts turned. Uh, there's a conversation that Jesus has with some religious leaders in Matthew 15. Um, and the religious leaders, they come to him, these are the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. To which we would respond, well, how are we? I'm like, gross, right? Yeah. Jesus, why are your disciples not washing their hands before they eat? But they're referring to something different. They're saying, all right, there's a tradition. You know, we're trying to we're, – we're, we have all these laws and all these rules that you're supposed to follow. And religion is always focused on the external, right? Always wanting to say what's going on, on the outside. Let's just make sure this looks good because that's what, what matters most. And God, in this point, he points out something very, very distinct. He says, he says, he just replied, why do you break the commands of God for the sakes of your religion, of your tradition? Why is it that you're not paying attention to what God has just because you're following a law? So you're, you're you're put on a good performance on the outside, but there's something else there. And so he goes on and says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your religion, your traditions. You hypocrites, which means you actors, you play, you put on masks, right? You pretend to be something you're not. He's saying, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And then he points back to an Old Testament prophecy where God is saying, all right, in the middle of your religion, in the middle of you, your performance, in the middle of you going through all the actions and all the trying to make it look good for everybody. He's saying, you're missing out something important. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God points out something about religion, that religion can be so focused on the external that we don't pay any attention to the internal. He says, they worship me, they're worshiping me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What is he saying? They're missing something, something vital to what it means to be a true worship that God is looking for. It's not just the externals, but it's also something that's happening on the inside. So he's saying, they're going through the motions. They're showing up to church, they're reading the Bible, they're doing all these things. But their hearts are far from me. And in that, he's saying you're missing something that's very, very important. You know, an iceberg is—they say that you know, 80 to 90 percent of that, that chunk of ice is actually below the surface, and you, what is exposed is only maybe 10 to 20 percent of that whole iceberg. I think life—this is a good picture of, of our life, right? We tend to focus on the on the 10 to 20 percent that others see. We worry about that temp, that part, that small percentage, and we tend to neglect the other part. Um, but we all know that underneath is the majority of what's going on, and really that's the unseen. That's, that's the heart. That's what's going on on the inside. Um, and we need to pay attention to that because eventually the, the, what's underneath the surface will eventually affect what's above the surface. And too many people, and this is where religion comes in. Religion says, hey, just worry about the outside. Just worry about others think. Do the right things. Go through the right motions. Act the right way. Say the right things. God is saying that, that's important, but there's something more important. Below the surface needs to be, there has to be something that, that happens there. Here's why. Let me give you another picture, a picture of a tree. Um, in this case, it would be an apple tree, but it could be any kind of tree. Um, but notice that in this, in this picture, that the, the things that are underneath the ground, right, the roots and in the, in the, the root system, that is actually what's going to give you what's going to be on the top. So we tend to look at our life and we want these different good things, but when we ignore what's underneath the surface – and if there's something bad, if that tree was planted in a, in a, in a ground that, that was deficient in different vitamins or anything good, it would not give the, the proper fruit or it wouldn't be fruitful. It would be unfruitful. It would be barren. It wouldn't work. And at some points it might even die because of not what's on top but on what's underneath. So our, our heart is super important. Um, so worship, like behavior, is inside out. We tend to think, let's just work on the outside and the inside will take care of itself. No, God is always saying, hey, if you want to know, we think behavior is always outside in. No, it starts on the inside. So our hearts, they, when we value something, it's it's in, it's in the heart. And so, um, you know, the, the the word core, you might have heard this this phrase, core values. You know, our core values really, really core values just equal heart values. The word core in Latin actually means heart. It's at your, it's 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 what's at the center of who you are. It's what you've begin to say, this is valuable to me. This is what I see is valuable in life. And out of that core of you, then the behavior begins to flow. This is where beliefs and values reside in our heart, inside of us, right? The deep, deeper part of who we are. And so our, our minds influence that, uh, but our heart can also influence our mind, which is a good thing. And so it's, it's, it's important that we understand. So like as a church, like I'll give you an example. For us as a church, uh, one of our core values, one of the things that we say is valuable to us is our goal is to populate heaven with as many people as possible. Like we want to reach people that are far from God. We want to reach people that are struggling and help them. And the way that we think that best that works best is we think that the best way to get as many people into heaven is actually to get heaven in, into as many people as we possibly can. And even this series, the whole goal is saying, how can we get more of heaven into our lives? Yeah, dying and uter- eternal destinations are important. But we don't just teach people to be ready to die. We want to teach how people learn to really live here and now. And if you get enough of heaven in you, you'll be actually begin to help other people experience heaven on a daily basis. Because the truth is there's people around us. They're at live, actually literally living in, in, in some cases in a living hell. Like what they're experiencing on a daily basis is like hell. It's not fun. It's not good. And when we have more heaven in us, we can actually bring that everywhere we go and help people experience more of God. But it starts at the, the core values of who we are. Heaven always comes from the inside out. God is always trying to interrupt that that pattern disruption from the inside out. In fact, Proverbs four twenty three, Solomon is giving us wisdom, and he says this above all else. So this is a, that's a key phrase above all else. When you have all these options in front of you, he says, guard your heart, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from that. Your relationships, the way you handle money, the way you go to work, um, the way you think about marriage and parenting and relationships. Everything in your life, it flows from the core of who you are. It, the inside spills out onto the outside. So he's saying, pay attention to who you are. Guard your heart. How do we guard the heart? Remember the mind. We let God renew the mind, the way we think, the influences we have. We choose wisely because eventually that bleeds into our heart. And eventually everything's in there comes out anyways through our words, through our actions, through the things that we believe and say. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says it like this. Jeremiah saying, the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So Jeremiah is like, all right, there's a problem with humankind. There's something flawed about what we choose to value in our lives. What's going on here? And the Lord responds, says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. A little before this, God makes a comparison between those who trust in him and those who don't. And it says, those who trust in him, they're like a tree whose roots go down into the water like by a river. And it produces goodness and good things out of their life. And then he goes on and says, but it's the heart. This is the heart that, that and he points back to the heart, that this is where it comes from. It starts internally, not externally. Uh, there's a leader, a leader that, uh, that I've been listening to recently. And he says, you know, when it comes to, from our human behavior and the studies that we have on human behavior, we've learned something about human behavior. And this is what he said. Uh, Tim Knight says, under pressure... People will compromise a concept, but under pressure, they will not compromise a core belief. So when you're, when you're given a, a choice to make in life, right, and, and there's this temptation, there's a, a challenge, there's a struggle, how much you should borrow, what you should do with your life, should you go forward with this thing or not? Well, when you've ever given this, when you have a pressure to make a choice, if it's just a concept in your mind, like an idea, like I shouldn't do that, then it's, you'll likely give in to something you know even that you shouldn't do. But if it's a core value, whenever we're given that situation, we will actually not give in to the pressure and we will not compromise under that pressure because it's something core to us. I'll give you an example of this. When I was in elementary school, I remember some people came to our school and it was the D.A.R.E. program, talked about drugs and uh, different, different peer pressure that's going to come our way eventually. And they were trying to teach us to say no to things that would be harmful to us. And I remember at the time, one of the one of the facilitators, I had this, this talk with them, and, and they, they talked about, for me, they're asking me questions about what I did, and I talked about um, athletics and the sports I was playing. And, and they began to talk about the effects of some of the stuff that, that we're introduced to and how they affect us. And one of those, we talked about cigarettes and nicotine. And the guy said, do you know that you really want to be a good athlete? Well, if you start smoking when you're young too early and if, you have, if that's a part of your life, it'll affect the way you breathe and it'll affect the way you're an athlete. And he, he kind of just spoke to me about what, what, something I valued was sports. And so at that moment, the idea as they spoke to me was a concept of, hey, we should say no to things that would be harmful to us. But there was a moment where something shifted from just a concept to a core value. And so years later when I was presented with different options, different things that I should try or do, you know, it was easy for me even with the pressure of friends or people saying you should do it. It's not that bad, big of a deal. It was easy for me to say no because years ago I had made a choice to say I'm going to value the ability to be the best athlete I could be, and what you're offering me is going to take me away from that ability. And so the value that I had actually caused me to say no to something that would have been harmful to me because it was a core value in our lives, God is saying, be, pay attention to what you hold as a core value because it will affect the results that you get. Uh, let, me give you, um, uh, let me give you a, a picture from, from a book that I was reading about um, motivations and how they affect our lives. All right? So you get the, the, our root motivations determine our fruitfulness in life. So over here on, on the right side, you can see the, 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 when the root motives are negative, they're self-glorifying, self-seeking, self-serving. We, we get something unhealthy in our lives. Uh, these are the three temptations that the enemy is always trying to give people to give into, to make it about self, right? to satisfy self, to, to glorify self, and to serve self. Self. So when he tempted Adam and Eve, he was pointing at these three things. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he was pointing at these three things. He's getting trying to get them to focus on something they didn't have for themselves so they can try to get on their own. And notice what the the results were there was hate and fear and arrogance and anxiety and anger and despair and evilness. Things from their heart. It was from the roots that produced all of these negative attributes, negative things in our lives. And then he gives a comparison over here on this side. Root motives, if their desires to glorify God, desire to please God, desire to serve God. This was, this was Jesus' motivation. And this is the motivation he tells us we should have. is we should desire to give God glory. We should desire to please God, desire to serve God. And when our motives and our heart and our core values are that, it tells us that naturally what we're going to see is we're going to see the, the fruit the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our life, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And it produces something good in our lives. But notice these two pictures. The difference is not what's on top. I mean, that, that's important. But really where it starts is what's beneath. When our motives are impure or negative or not right, it will produce something negative in our, in our relationships with others and with God and ourselves. And see, the enemy's always pointing at these, saying, man, just do it. It feels good. Culture's always saying, just go for it. This is what's most important. And at the end, what we produce, what we get, will be from what we choose to focus on, what we choose to hold true to our values of what's important to our lives. So we look at that result cycle again. The way you win the cycle is not by just changing your behavior. That's important. It starts with what is core to you in your heart, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about others, what you believe about God. If you don't change those... Then no matter how much you try to change your behavior, the results will never be what they can be. You won't get the results that you're looking for. We have to begin to say, how do, how do we change the results? We change what's on the inside of us. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people that say, hey, I want the kind of values that, that you want for my life here. My, and he says, those whose hearts at the inside are set upon him, right? Those are the ones he wants to strengthen, those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those are the kind of people God's looking for. Psalms uh, 51, I'll, I'll read this in a second. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament of, of King David. And so King David was, um, he was a shepherd boy who, who God used to do some amazing miracles and amazing things in, in the Old Testament. And uh, David, when he was young as a shepherd, it says that he, he killed a lion and a bear with his own bare hands. Like the, the animals came to attack his sheep and he got out there and he, he killed him. And so then when he's a teenager, he's, he's going to the, take some, some snacks and some food to his brothers in the front lines when there's a war going on. And there's this giant from Phil, uh, that's a, a Philistine. He comes and he begins to mock the people of Israel. And it says that this, this giant mocked the people of Israel for a long time, 40 days. And when David came to bring his brothers some, some food and some cheese and snacks, he heard him. And he says, why is nobody standing up to this guy? And everybody's afraid of him. And it says that David said, you know, if nobody else is going to st- stand up to this guy, I'm going to stand up to him. And David takes on Goliath, the teenage boy takes on this champion warrior, and he defeats him on the battlefield. And God uses him because, and one of the one of the words the Bible uses about David is he was a man after God's own heart. Like there was something that was core to David that God says He gets it. Well, David he began to do all these amazing things, and God used in his life. He became king finally, and, and some cool things. Well, there's this one story that wasn't so cool in David's life. Um, it says that, and this is what it says in, in the in the verse that says uh, that. Uh, during the time of fall, when when kings went out to war, David stayed home. So when all of his friends and people around him and the, the people in his army went out to fight and, and to serve the, the kingdom, he stayed back home. And it says one night he was walking around on his on the top of his, his, his house and he noticed a woman that was bathing and she was beautiful and it caught his attention and eventually it captured his heart. So he had to have the woman for himself. So he called her to himself and he slept with her and she got pregnant. It turns out that um, her husband was one of the guys in his army, and so he says, "Oh man, I made a mistake. Let's try to fix this." So he calls for her husband, and brings him back, and he says, "Hey, go have you know you've been fighting so hard out there. I want to reward you. So go, hey, go have a good time with your wife and spend some time with her." And so uh, it says that he went home, but he didn't go in, and it says he stayed at the door, and and and, he, and, and nothing happened. So David's kind of frustrated because he's trying to fix what he messed up, and and he says he tells him, "Why don't you go with your wife?" And he says, "Well." Um, how can I enjoy pleasure and enjoy this time when all my friends and all those are fighting on the, on the battlefield? My thoughts are there with them. And so he tried a couple of times, didn't work. So finally David just gives, sends him off to the to the, to the battlefield and, and the front lines. And he said, he told the commander, hey, go to the front. And then when he's at the front, have everybody else pull back. And essentially he has him murdered and he has everybody else pull back and he gets killed by the other army. And so uh, he thinks he got away with it, right? Trying to hide and cover his tracks and uh, something in his life changed. The value became not about God, not about the kingdom, but about himself. And this choices he made began to m- invite and bring something that was no good. Well, the, one of the prophets comes to David, and and it's a great story. That he comes and and God tells the, the prophet, "You need to con- confront David on this." And the way God does it is pretty amazing. So the prophet Nathan comes. He talks to David, and he says, "He says, David, I need to tell you a story." So David's all right. Tell me the story. He says, "There was a man who had a hundred sheep, and." pretty successful, doing really well. And one of his friends came one night to, to hang out with him, and he were going to have a, a party. And so he was going to he was gonna sacrifice one of his sheep, but he loved him so much, he's like, I, I really don't want to sacrifice one of my sheep. So he looks at his neighbor, who only has one sheep. He's poor. He's not as successful as this guy. And you know what this guy does? Instead of feeding his, his friend one of his own sheep, he goes to his neighbor, takes his one sheep, the only sheep that he has, brings it, and sacrifices it to feed his friend. And David says, what? This is an outrage! Who is this man? Like we need to—he needs to go to prison. He needs to pay for what he's done. And Nathan says, "David, that man is you." And in that moment, God exposes something that David had done that he was even blind to—that he was not thinking about what he did have. He thought about what he didn't have. He went after something that wasn't supposed to be his, and then he tried to cover his tracks. There was deceit and there was lying in him. And after he was confronted, the Psalm fifty-one, which I'm going to read in the second part of it. It's his response and his prayer, his song to God saying, okay, I messed up. And notice his song says, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In this song, he's saying, all right, God, you've exposed me, but it's not just externally. I messed up here. I can't fix it out here. I have to fix it in here. He says, God, restore to me, a, a, a renew a steadfast spirit. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He notices he lost something in this transaction. Notice he lost something in these choices that he made. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's going to change something in me. Help me to go along the distance. Help me not to get distracted and my heart to turn away from, from you again. Notice what he said. It's on the inside. The results that he got was because of a choice that he made on the inside. And the way to fix it is by saying, God, fix what's going on in here. See, see, joy, when he talks about joy, of your salvation, joy comes deep from deep within. We, we tend to focus on happiness, right? Happiness is, is by circumstance. It's circumstantial. So if, if everything's lined up in our life and things are going well, we're happy. And we all chase happiness. and That's not a bad thing. We should be happy. But joy is different. Joy is saying no matter what's going on around me, that's coming from within something deeper that I'm focusing on the right things. What is he saying? I was focusing on this. I was trying to make myself happy. I was trying to make myself with pleasure. But, God, I want to find that joy again that comes deep from deep within, having the right values, the right convictions. Psalms 139, David says in another song, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David understood in life, the choices we make, the people we become, it's contingent on what we place as valuable in our life. He's saying, God, if there's something in my life that's not right, Show it, expose it so I can change that. How may I have a change of heart? How may I have a change of mind so I can see it? 1 Thessalonians uh, five sixteen and 18, Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for, Christ, for you in Christ Jesus. If there's ever a day you're wondering, all right, God, what exactly am I supposed to do? Like, what is your will for my life? Paul tells us. You know what God is hoping for our lives? Like, there's more to it. There's personal missions he's given us and purpose in our lives but there's some general stuff that all of us need to focus on and do. He says this, rejoice always. What does it mean to rejoice? It's, it's renewing that joy within you. It's, it's, it's thanking God for something. It's recognizing something that's deep within. Like you're pointing out these positive things. Pray continually. Like you take everything to God. You're saying, all right, I don't understand this moment. I don't know how to parent. I don't know how to be whatever. In this moment, I need your help. It's go- taking them to God saying, God, how me to have the right perspective. Help me have the right focus. How my attention to be on you. And then give thanks in all circumstances. Paul understood the power of, be, of, of gratefulness, of giving thanks in all circumstances. This may be the secret sauce for Paul's life. As he understood that no matter what he faced, he was going to be grateful for what was in front of him and not focus just on what was not. And he gave thanks. This is God's will for your life. So Paul is saying you need to choose joy. And when you do this, when you rejoice always, you pray continually. When you thank God in all circumstances, something happens. Depression leaves. And anxiety leaves, and loneliness leaves. It's like the idea I said last week. You can't hold these two ideas at the same time, right? A lot of times in our lives, we choose anxiety or we choose to trust God. Well, gratitude is choosing to recognize what is in front of you. Gratitude is making a choice of saying, I'm going to choose to to be grateful for what is here and not for what I don't have. My focus will not be on that. Um,. You know, when, when it comes to life, you know, if I, I look at my wife, she's an amazing wife. We've been married for 17 years. You know, I could find a hundred things that are wrong with her. And I can go through a list right now and I could probably like this, right? <laughs> you laugh, you're like, I wouldn't do that, Eric. That's not a good thing. Well, in all fairness, she could probably find way more than that in my life, right? Could, we, could, we could nitpick each other and find all these things that we don't like and these different things throughout the years. But for 17 years, this is what I know. and I think this is the secret Paul is telling us. When you focus on what you don't have or what you don't like, you miss what you do have and what you do like. If I focused for the last 17 years on everything that was wrong and not working, I guarantee I would not be married to her. I probably wouldn't even like her, and she would probably not like me. But because I have said, you know what? What's in front of me is more important than what I don't have. So she sets the standard. So is there ever a temptation for another woman? I just say that's not even my standard. She's my standard. I like what she has. That woman doesn't have what I like. I'm saying I'm grateful for what God's given me. I'm grateful for the commitment. I'm grateful for the friendship. I'm grateful for the sacrifice. And when I begin to recognize all the amazing things that she has, yeah? And you have a lot of amazing things. I can't hold what I do like and what I don't like at the same time. My gratitude for her changes. It changes my, my perspective in my life. See, we cannot hold both comparison and gratitude at the same time. I can't be saying sincerity in these other women, right? Like it's just not... It's comparison or it's gratitude, one or the other. We cannot hold both anger and gratitude at the same time. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and anger rises up, well, if you're focused on what they took away or what they're trying to hurt you on, yeah, you'll have anger. But if you're grateful for the fact that you're alive, that you have a vehicle, if you're grateful for the things that you, you have in front of you, all of a sudden anger dissipates, right? Because you're not going to stay saying, I'm not going to choose to let that be the thing that controls my life. I'm going to choose to focus on what I, what I do have. You cannot hold both unbelief and gratitude at the same time. You know, there's this, uh, this last week I was talking to a missionary from uh, Texas. He's, he works with college students, and he said he met this young young man in college, and this young man was uh, uh, just struggling in life. And, and He said he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe anything that, uh, about God. And as they'd be in a talk, he asking why. Well, it turns out that uh, the reason he doesn't like God or want anything with God is because he had a really bad father growing up, and so he compared his father to the heavenly father and. He just must assume. Well, if God is good, all these things wouldn't happen, and and all these things. Created him just to say, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in anything. But his his nothing wasn't producing anything good in his life. So he was, he was searching. So my, this this missionary is saying in his conversation, trying to figure out how can I help this this young man understand that there's something in life that God has for him. Like there is something if he'd open his heart. And he says, well, this this will happen. They may have this conversation. He says, Hey, notice you have this, this this really nice phone. Like, where'd you get this phone? Like, do you have a job? He says, No, I'm a full time student, but my dad bought it for me. It's his way of trying to buy my love. He was such a bad father that all he can do is just buy me stuff from um, buy my love. He says, Well, that's a really nice car you have. Yeah. It's really expensive. My my dad bought it for me and uh, he's just trying to buy my love. He wasn't a good father, he's just buying my love. And he says he realized in that moment that this young man was struggling because he was focused on what he didn't have, he was missing on what was in front of him. I mean, yeah, his dad was probably not a good dad, and maybe that's true, but he missed what he did have. It's possible his dad was trying to buy his love, but it could be possible his dad was trying to maybe make up for something. I don't know. Whatever it was. But he said the moment that things began to change for this young man to start believing that God, there is possibly even a God and even trusting his life to God, was the moment he convinced him just to be grateful for what he did have, not what he didn't have. All right, so all the past didn't work out for you the way it was. How do you want the future to work out? Well, it's not going to work out by just holding on to what, what you don't have but by focusing on what you do have. See, the enemy, when he fell from heaven, it was, it was in the heart that things changed. It was being ungrateful for what, he didn't, for, for what he did have and focus on what he didn't have. What is the strategy used for Adam and Eve? God says you can eat from any tree you want in this garden except the one there in the middle. Don't eat from that one. And what did the enemy convince Eve to do? Focus on the one tree she couldn't have and ignore all the thousands of other trees that she could have. She was not grateful for this. She, she became ungrateful saying, why well, don't I have that? And her focus turned to that one thing she didn't have and she ignored everything she did have. To Jesus, Satan comes and tempts him and says, hey, you know, this is the process God's given you, but you can shortcut the process. Let's just, let's focus on what you don't have at this moment and let's go after that. In our lives, over and over and over, the thing that we struggle as humans is distract, being distracted by the things we don't have. And the enemy is always going to point that out. And you know, I could focus on all the things I don't have, and at some point, I could even say, "Man, I, there's things, there's more things I don't have than I do have." Or I could say, "Man, the things I do have are pretty amazing, and I can't take for granted those things." I woke up today, and I breathed in another another day of life. of you guys thought about that today? Because you know, the alternative isn't quite as good as waking up with lung, air in your lungs. I got out of my bed and I walked. Man, I have some shoes on my feet. I drove in a car. Yeah, it might be a beater. It might be really old. It might be on its last leg. But you drove somewhere. It was a bicycle, whatever. In our days, how many things are there that we can look around and say, wow, this, this and this is pretty awesome. I have that. But we tend to what, focus on what we don't have. In marriages that struggle, I guarantee if your marriage is struggling, you're focused on things that you don't have and what you don't like about the person rather than what you do have. And if you'll change your heart from saying, I'm not going to focus on everything that's wrong, I'm going to focus on what's right, something will change inside of you. You cannot hold both of these. And maybe the last one is you cannot hold both blank and gratitude at the same time. What is that thing that you're holding on to saying, if only this, then my life would be perfect, my life would be satisfied? See, because culture tells over and over and over, you're not going to be fully satisfied until you have this many followers or this much money in your bank account or this kind of car or this kind of lifestyle. And our culture pushes us to chase things that will never be able to fully satisfy us, ever. You could have more and more and more of it and it'll never satisfy. Because the problem with that perspective and that value is there's always going to be more. But if you'll change and say, okay, how can I be grateful for what I do have? You have so much more than you realize. And if your perspective will change, you'll begin to see that, that God has more for you. So worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands, to who God is and what he has done. So in our lives, what would that look like if we engage God with, with our, pay attention to our influences, our thoughts, but then the internal part of us, we're saying, God, show us, like, like David, search me and examine me and know me and show me what's going on there. So I can have the right values in life. Give me the perspective that you have. Help me to see that. You know, being, giving, giving, uh, giving thanks to God. It said in that Romans verse in the beginning, I said, their hearts were darkened. Why? Because they didn't acknowledge God as God and because they didn't thank him. There's a process in saying, I'm going to ignore all the things I have and I'm going to see the things I don't have. And their thoughts turned to the things they didn't have and their hearts were darkened and began to chase after pleasure and the things that make them feel good. And the beauty of God is he lets us choose. It's free will. It's a gift he's given us. But the things that we choose to value in our life will produce the results that we get in our life and eternity. So God says, hey, it's your choice, but choose well because you'll become like what you worship. You'll become like what you hold most valuable in your life. That value will drive you to make decisions and choices. David's value to pursue Bathsheba was a choice that he made. In scripture over and over, God keeps pointing to the different kings, especially kings because they're the authority, he said, don't do not do these things because your heart will drift away from me. God knew that the influences and the people we choose in our life will eventually cause us to either go towards God or away from God. So here's my challenge. Like David, right? my, my challenge today is this. Would you ask God to purify your heart? Because all of us could use a little bit of that to purify our hearts. You know, the iceberg I, I showed earlier, you know, we see the small percentage, we focus on that, but it's the bigger percentage underneath that really we need to pay attention to. There's a story of the Titanic. It sunk in uh, April of uh, April 14th, like a long time ago. I didn't know the year, but a long time ago. And um, you know the story. This boat was supposed to be like the unsinkable ship, right? Because the way they designed it is, is uh, with, with the different compartments underneath. It was supposed to be unsinkable. And the captain was told that and the people were told that. And so um, that, that night what it was going through, what's interesting is, is the Titanic had six warnings that there were icebergs ahead of them. Well, an iceberg on the water compared to the Titanic probably looked very small in comparison. But it's not the things on top that sunk the Titanic. It's the things that was underneath that sunk the Titanic. What I find really interesting about this story is the last call, the sixth call, the warning, hours, not, not, half hour before it hit the, the iceberg, a call was made from another ship, and they came through and said, "Hey, there, you guys are about to hit some more icebergs. You got to pay attention. Be careful." And the guy that was in charge of receiving the calls, this is his response. Shut up, shut up, I'm busy. He was trying to fix some radio. So his response to the warning was, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. And the Californian that called, they hung up, turned the radio off, and went to bed. 30 minutes later, Titanic hits the iceberg, cracks open the ship. A couple hours later, it it sinks. Well, early in the morning, next morning, that ship wakes up, turns the radio on and learns that the Titanic had been hit and that it was sent out a distress call. So they respond. At this point, it was too late for them to save anybody. Shut up. Shut up. I'm busy. This is the last thing that guy said on the radio before they hit the the, the, – what sunk them. In our lives, because of pride, and I think in this story, pride was a big part of it. The captain, this guy who was on the phone, like, man, you guys are bugging us with all these little iceberg things. Like, we are the unsinkable ship, right? Like, we're going to get there. And the captain wanted to go even faster, which caused even more issues. He wanted a little bit of pride saying, we're going to be the best. It's going to be about us. They didn't heed warning. They didn't heed caution. They didn't think about any of those things. They were distracted. The guy that said, shut up, shut up, I'm busy, he's saying, I'm distracted. There's something else more important than these little icebergs that are in front of us. And there was an unawareness of what was really going on underneath the surface. Today, I believe God has me to tell you, your heart is so, so, so important. What you value will cause your ship to stay afloat or cause your ship to sink. The relationships that you have, the results of them is because of what's underneath is going on. And I promise this one activity, if, if the, the greatest habit, maybe attitude you could have in life, it's just gratitude. This week, if you want to begin to change what's underneath, if you'll just start by saying, all right, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. God, thank you for that. And your kids and your wife and your spouse and in your work, if you begin to say, hey, I'm so glad you did that. That is so great that that's going that way. Something changes in your heart. Your focus goes from just me, me, me to like others and to recognize what God is doing. And it'll protect your heart from wanting things that you don't have. But if you don't, you're not grateful if you're not aware you let pride creep in you'll be like i got this nothing's going to happen to me nothing's going to stop me and before you know it your relationships are at the bottom of the ocean your health is at the bottom of the ocean because you ignored warning it's quite possible today i'm that other ship calling saying hey be careful be careful there's things in your life that'll sink you if you're not paying attention don't just focus on the external, but say, God, what's on the inside that's going on? What is there that's that's really happening? Or you could be like the caller or the guy that's answering the, the call and that. Shut up, shut up. I'm busy. I would say, choose the opposite, saying, wow, God, thank you for life. Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity I have this week. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Romans twelve one says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping eating going to work like life you're walking around life and place it before god as worship as an offering embracing what god does for you is the best thing you can do for him don't become so well adjusted in your into your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it instead fix your attention on god you'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Remember, the kind of worship God's looking for is a full-life response of your head, your heart, and your hands. It's everything you do on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, your interactions, your thoughts, your motives. God is saying, would you trust me? Let me do something in your life. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says, I will give you a new heart, and this is God speaking to us. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove you, your, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of us in this room, our hearts have become hard because our thinking has been darkened by just selfishness and, and greed and pride. And God is saying, let me remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that begins to recognize something greater in this life than just what you're wanting for yourself. And here's the amazing thing about God. When you serve him and you serve others you'll begin to see that the dreams that you have in your heart actually become the fruit that you really want in the first place anyways. God is saying, if you trust me, I will help you have the best life you could possibly have. But it starts with the heart. Do me a favor, would you close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service? If you're here today, and you'd be brave enough to acknowledge and humble enough to say, God, that's me. I have a little bit of pride. It's all about me. I have a little bit of distractions in my life. I have a little bit of unawareness about really what's going on. And I need your help. The Bible says if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll confess to him that we don't have it all together, if we were sinners, that we messed up, he'll forgive. He'll help us on this journey. And today my hope is that you'll take today and you'll what you heard, and you'll apply it today and tomorrow and this week, and you'll allow God to begin to form in you something beautiful and amazing. And you stick with it so the fruit in your life will be amazing. But if you're here today and you acknowledge that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. But if that's you, would you let me know by lifting your hand and saying that's me today? Yeah. Awesome. So good. Anybody else? That's me. God, my heart needs a change. My heart needs to be exposed. My heart needs more of you. So awesome. Quite a few hands went up today. If you raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're a Christ follower in the room, would you pray with us so that those that raise their hand are not praying alone? Just say this prayer with me today. Say, Father God, Today, I acknowledge that I cannot do life without you. Forgive me of my choices and my sin that have led me away from you. Would you give me a new heart? Would you put a new spirit in me? Would you give me a heart of flesh and take away this heart of stone? Help me to live a life that brings you glory, that pleases you that serves you. Thank you for sending Jesus on that cross to die for me. I put my trust in you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's raise a hand. Let's clap some hands for all those that raised their hand today. It's so good. I mean, I saw so many hands go up. Can I just say, I'm so proud of you. It takes a lot of courage to acknowledge but that's where, that's where life change happens when we're finally able to say, all right, there's something deep beneath that needs to be changed. And God says, finally, you're letting me in. Now I can work with it. God always responds to humility. So good job for all you prayed.